Yo MTG Taps is sponsored by no one. And that's why we need your help. If you love this show, make sure you follow us on Twitter at YoMTGTaps and retweet our episodes when we post them. Visit our website, IWantMyMTG.com, for past episodes. Like us on Facebook and Snapchat us pictures of your junk. Wait, forget I said that last part. Stickers, life pads, and even a few worm tokens will soon be available for a small PayPal donation to help offset costs. We really want to do this show 100% independently, so we need your help to get the word out and let everyone know we're back. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to Yo MTG Taps. I'm Big Head Joe. And I'm Stephen Marshall. And we have an awesome guest for you today. Uh, we have former SCG Live commentator. Uh, and you're still writing articles for SCG, right? You just did one last week, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Sweet. Recent SCG Invitational Top 8 competitor, Shaheen Sarani. Woo! That's me. <laughs> How's it going, man? It's going well. Thanks for having me. Excellent. It's Great to have you on. You're our first guest back. No pressure. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, no uh, problem. Yeah, man. Uh, and you are a perennial control player, so you kind of fit that Joey Pasco slot on the podcast nicely. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, he's a he's a good-looking guy and all, but I'm a little bit better, I think, at the control game than him. I hope he's <laughs> listening. I hope he'll listen to this, too. <laughs> he usually does, mostly. A little for me. Yeah, mostly to send me uh, angry critiques and, 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 and complain about my inflection. No, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he's had nothing but, uh, but uh, positive feedback. Uh, for the episodes we've or the episode that we did so far um but yeah uh so you know we're going to talk a little bit about uh obviously we've got born of the gods spoilers to talk about today there is i'm just going to touch on this right now because we're not going to talk about the recent counterfeiting controversy um the, everyone who follows up on magic probably has heard about this by now there's some sort of controversy with a printer in china making counterfeits of high dollar cards that look really, really good. Um, we're going to skip that talk for this episode. So just up front, we're aware we're skipping it. Um, there is a website called learning kitty.com L E A R N I N G K I T T Y.com. I'm spelling that because I don't know how those two words are in any way related. So and you probably go, what is kitty K I D D? No, no, no. So, that website has a lot of info about the counterfeiting thing. So if you want to know about that, you don't know what I'm talking about, go to that website. It'll tell you everything you need to know. We're moving on past that. So um, we're going to talk about spoilers, like I said. We're going to start, though, uh, talking to Shaheen about his recent uh, Invitational performance. So, uh, Shaheen, you did pretty good in the Invitational, yeah? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. You know, all days work in the office there, the Invitational. The worst part is I wish I could win something else. But I can't. I lose everywhere else I go. And I just do well in these invitationals. Like, I mean, you know how many Grand Prix I've played in? I've played in some god-awful amount. Just, we were talking 30-ish, maybe more than that. Mm. And uh, I've lost a few winning ends, but I've just never, you know, I just can't do it. But invitational, easy peasy. Easy stuff. Nice. Um, did you have Did you have any buys going into the invitational? 
Yeah, I have two buys. I've had two buys um, since the first one, or that I played in anyway. Uh, just because the point system they have set up, if you top eight in Invitational, you're pretty much locked into at least a buy. Um, you do well, you get two, and then you carries over to the next year, and that's why I have them. So after this this year, I'm not sure how the point system works. It's terrible for me to say for this year. I know it's a new system with the players uh, championship, which I got a nice little spot in the commercials. Pretty cool to see. Uh, if you guys haven't seen it. I think, um, I think I actually made a brief appearance in one of the commercials too. Like, yeah, this this one they just uh, started airing. It's uh, it has like me, BBD, Kibler. Just uh, it has six of us uh, total, and under each one they show the picture like fainting a little bit, kind of going to to black, uh, and under it has like a caption. So mine for Kibler it said skill, for BBD it said passion. He does these little like erotic eyes at the camera, and uh, <laughs> when it gets to me it says. Uh, I think it's perseverance or persistence. One of those two. I think it's perseverance. And I think it means like because I refuse to play anything else but the same deck every single time. And then stubbornness because stubbornness, stubbornness was yeah, not. Stu- it's not a positive uh, description. So yeah, I think it's persistence or something. It's a backhanded compliment. Yeah, yeah, I, I knew it was. And I, that's you know, I'm used to the backhand comments. It's for for years. I mean, I, I rolled to a tournament with, you know, Avalanche Riders and Momentary Blink and get ridiculed. So you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. You gotta play these fun decks, regardless. But yeah, the invitation was good. It was uh, another Esper run. Um, I played Blue Red briefly, uh, but I couldn't beat like a Domri or a Xenagos deck ever. And I was sick of losing Stormbreath Dragon, so I switched is, to is Esper. That the, is that the worst matchup for? Uh, for the deck or for control decks currently? No, just like oh, you red. mean the red green monster deck? Yeah, yeah that's, that's the worst matchup. And even with switching to Esper, you have a better game because you have a uh, uh, hero's downfall to to add to the detention spheres. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely the worst matchup, especially the ones that run more than one Garrick. Um, then you got to play against a slew of just uh, NASA planeswalkers, and it's the Domri's actually are a lot worse nowadays than they used to be. Uh, you'll see them miss a lot more because the decks are less; they have less creatures. <clears throat> but um, it's definitely a tough matchup. Steven, you had a couple questions about Esper in the current standard meta game. Is that correct? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's uh, I've basically never played uh, a control deck. Um, the first time I ever cast a Supreme Verdict was trying out that uh, Esper Humans deck. So that's basically the, the closest I've come to uh, to playing that. Um, since I've just basically been allergic to islands for, for as long as I've played Magic. Allergic to islands. Now, you've got to start right. that uh, Twitter account, because Joey has... The anti-Joey. Own... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> allergic to blue at Twitter. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I can just I can tell you, you know, how and why control is just better in a, in a vacuum. Like, the more advanced the magic you get, this always makes aggro players angry, so that's <laughs> doing it. You're just going to reinforce those old stereotypes? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when you play control deck, it's kind of like um, you, uh, let's say we're, we're having even footing, you know, and you're, you're, we're playing a game, it has a lot of skill, but there's some luck involved, too. Control gives you outs and outlets to use half the unlucky wheel against your opponent. When you're mana flooded, uh, you have opportunities to use that mana, you know, to put games away with cards like Sphinx of Revelation or expensive uh, win conditions. Um, when you're playing an aggro deck, you are simply at the mercy of half the luck factor. You know, you're basically banking on explosive draws, and if your draw is anywhere not near, you know, mediocre or not explosive, 
uh, your control deck average draw uh, can just do, you know, demolish you. So it's kind of like, I, I think playing an aggro deck, for the most part, unless they're just really stupid, we're talking like Skull Clamp Affinity or uh, Goblins back in Standard, like these really fast, super awesome, aggressive decks that were just, you know, unprecedented. I think you're playing a mono-red deck nowadays, you're, you're really neutering yourself in Magic. One of the reasons why uh, we're asking you this is because the last episode we did, we were talking about our magic New Year's resolutions. And uh, one of Steven's was to sleeve up a deck with islands in it and play it in an event, you know, just to kind of broaden his mind in terms of deck choice and and, be, and playing the best deck available um, rather than uh, beating his nose to the grindstone with these um, like rogue decks and things that he's trying out, which is totally fun. You know, it's fun to try those things out, but it's nice to give yourself the options or at least to, you know, entertain every option that's available. Now, obviously, you think that, you know, control is the best option available every year. And that's, you know, and that's awesome. Um, I recently played blue white control, um, the start of this standard season, I moved on to the mono black devotion deck, uh, because I have a fear of playing more than one color, apparently. Um, but that's a control deck in its own form though. For I sure. Think. Yeah. So I, especially with the new infest card coming out, I think mono black's a fine choice. And I think it's another one of those where you can use your extensive mana to your advantage. And that's why, again, the red green deck, even though it's, it's a, it's a mid range deck and you can use your mana to your advantage. And I think just historically is playing the aggro decks are the ones that you really cheat yourself because you're, you're all in every time. And in a 10 round tournament, sure. You can smash five, six, seven people. You can use five, six, Oh, but you're going to lose two and you're not going to top eight. And that's just, you know, it is, unless you're extremely lucky. And you don't want to bank on that. If you have enough magic skill and experience, you want to give yourself a chance to win with um, at least have an option. If you're, you know, not getting this explosive draw, you still win by top decking Garrick or Xenagos and doing things with that. Instead of saying, oh, I drew my Ractus Cackler turn seven. You know, you're not going to win these games. <laughs> right, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely played a lot of aggro. I definitely played mono red in every format for a couple years, very stubbornly. Um, but I just, I did the same thing that Steven wants to do. And that's kind of try something new. I looked at the cards that scared me when the rotation happened and they were all in blue, white control. And I was like, well, why don't I just be that guy rather than play, you know, be like, Oh, I hope he doesn't draw that card. And like having the draw spells and having the more, like just more and better options in terms of like, you know, the cards that you get to play, it just, it is, you know, really, really awesome, powerful thing to experience for the first time. Um, so Steven wants to play Esper or, or blue white or some version of control, like at least at F and M on that level. Um, what do you think would be, um, some tips in terms of like someone who's never played a control deck before? What would you s tell them, you know, anything that they would need to know going into it like what to expect what they wouldn't think of you think um you definitely don't play a control deck that has a uh i guess a minute amount of win conditions unless you're very talented and i don't even play you know i my esper decks always have had multiple win conditions like two three blood baron main deck eighthling elspeth so uh you'll see people of immortality one jensen can play one eighthling win condition that's it you know and run these tournaments and do well because uh, you're you know he's a master but i feel like if you're new ish or you don't want to 
you know, put yourself in a situation where you want to have a difficulty to take it down and win games, you should play multiple win conditions, like play multiple Blood Barons. I play three or four in the main deck. Uh, BBD's top eight list, um, he had four Blood Baron in his main deck. Uh, he also had Packrat and Nightville Spectre in his sideboard. So he had no shortage of win conditions. And I think that, you know, for new control players, they might copy a list online that has an Elixir or has an Aetheling and then one Elspeth. I think you're really, you know, hurting your chances of winning if you're new at um, control because you you don't, like, a lot of times you'll play Aetheling with two open and then they do have the double removal spell and you, you know, you're real sad and you've lost the game and it's, and this gives you kind of like a, you know, reset button in case. So that's like the biggest tip. Uh, besides that, uh, burning uh, Sphinx of Revelations early is something that I, I completely support to this. And now obviously it's you know, situation by situation, but you're going to draw more later. You're playing a control deck. A lot of people won't want to rev for two. Uh, you definitely rev for two. Continue to hit land drops because that's the most important part of the game. Take minimal damage because your cards are so powerful. Uh, a lot of players want to get max value of a Supreme Verdict. If someone plays Desecration Demon, you Verdict. If someone plays a Nightville Spectre, you Verdict by itself. You, you don't try to you know, take six or take two, let them get cards, and then verdict. You really can one for one the mono black decks. You one for one the red green decks. A lot of times you'll do more than one for one red green decks. So they have a lot of mana dorks, but like you know, you don't wait to for the perfect time to hero's downfall. You don't play Domri or you don't play um, Blood Baron and then let them get another activation from their planeswalker. Then do the hero's downfall. You want to just take care of all their stuff on the board, and then. Um, then you can do stuff. So, I mean, there's, there's obviously more tips. Sideboarding is also very difficult um, when you're starting with a control deck. So you really want to have a, a notepad with your in and out before you start playing and uh, try to follow that as strict as possible. That's probably where most people lose games because they don't know how to sideboard. And uh, you said you tested a red, white, blue uh, control deck. What, what does red offer over... over black? I, I can see the obvious for black with Thoughtseize and, and Blood Baron. What, what does red give you? Uh, Assemble Legion is probably the best card in the deck. Mm. Uh, beats Mono Black pretty handily. Uh, by beating him, I mean it's it's ridiculous. It's it's all, it's one of those where they can handle Blood Baron. They can eat it. They can outrace it. They can you know do stuff to it. Um, they can't beat Assemble Legion. I've never lost post Assemble Legion against Mono Black. Uh, but you also have War Leaders Helix against the Aggro decks, and you have a much better game against these Blitz decks, those one-drop red decks, because you have Busy Mortars, which are additional verdicts later in the game. You have War Leaders Helix, you have a lot of good spot removal. Um, Turn and Burn, very good against uh, Posing Osmodat, and it kind of serves as the Hero's Downfall card. But you can't, the, the Stormbred Dragon, uh, you really have very few outs. Uh, you have like two Turn and Burn, and then Verdicts and Elspeth, where in the Black deck you have like a a plethora of ways to kill it. And also, uh, the uh, Esper Mirror is rough when they have Thought Season and you don't. They get to take your Aetheling, because uh, that's what the Control Mirror really boils down to. Uh, so, I mean, it, had, it has perks, but Esper is definitely more uh, solid. Okay. Uh, that, was, that was actually very useful. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, like, that, a lot of the stuff you were talking about with uh, with Esper Control, and, and it kind of goes back to blue-white. I'm sitting here going... Man, I wish I'd have talked to you four months ago when I was playing that blue white deck. Because uh, I, did, I did a lot of the things that you said, don't do those things. I'm like, yeah, I totally like waited on my Sphinx's revelations until the last possible minute. Probably could have, you know, 
almost cycled them. You know what I mean? Like, or semi cycled them. Your cards are just better than your opponents later in the game. So that's why you can burn revelations. Uh, You know, it's definitely case by case. Uh, If you're playing, if you have a a Sphinx of Revelation in your hand, you're playing the control mirror. You don't just do it in a turn when they've said go with seven cards in their hand. You're not, you know, walking to a counter spell. But if your opponent is bad or inexperienced, uh, you can rev in a turn, pull a counterfeit out, then play Aetherling and the game's over. I mean, it's that simple in the control mirror. It's who plays the Aetherling first. When I played BBD, I 3 0 him um, round one of the Invitational in the top eight, and he's playing the Esper Mirror. So um, pretty much playing the same deck. Uh, he twice, I think one time was 100% the right play, second time probably was right too, and I got kind of lucky. But he played Aetherling. I dealt with Aetherling when he was tapped out. And uh, I played my own Aetherling. And the me- the minute I played my own Aetherling, game one, on turn eight, he conceded. He has, hmm. you know, five, six cards in his hand and just auto-conceded because you just can't win. It's just, it's, it's you know, lights out. So um, my, my main strategy for uh, the control mirror is uh, I started playing Mono Black Devotion. Um, so what would you say for someone who doesn't want to stop playing a controlled, like doesn't want to stop playing the uh, Esper Blue-White Control um, to get through a Control Mirror? Because I just, I scratched my head and I was like, man, I hate playing Control Mirrors so much. Like, how do you enjoy, how do you, like, how do you get through your day enjoying your day playing the Control Mirror? Like, um, I, I love it. This is my favorite match in the world. Yeah, I, that, would, that's ra- awesome. I would rather play control every round, um, every, Esper round, every round. It's just mainly, and honestly, this is kind of like what it boils down to. There's a lot of different types of people that play Magic. And I honestly don't, I don't want to say I don't enjoy the game, but I enjoy winning a lot more. So, so I'm so like you know experienced in the control mirror, especially against like just an average vanilla opponent. I'm more comfortable playing against them. So that's kind of probably why I enjoy it. If I was not experienced in the control mirror, or I play the game for fun, I can see why people would be like pretty upset by playing control mirror all the time. Uh, Back in the day, there were ways around it. You had like Luminarch Ascension and Standard, which was a way to get around it. Uh, Drown Yard, you just keep drowning him. But now the Control Mirror has a lot of play because it really is a you know a tit for tat game where if you blink and Aetherling gets resolved on the other side of the board, you're done. So it's kind of one of those. It's, there's a lot more skill in it nowadays, and it's it's one of those you got to really play smart and use your resources well. But back in the day, it was like, oh, I drew more Drown Yards, and then you're dead. Or right. I play turn two Luma or Ascension, you're dead. Um, and I, I kind of like that too. But you know, now it's, it's it's a lot more play in it, so it makes what you just described even worse for somebody like you who hates it because these games dredge on forever. They really do. No, they do. And like, and it's just one of those things where I just lose patience. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I've I've done. I've, for for me, I've done pretty decent in the last year, but I just lose a lot of patience when it comes to that sort of thing. And I'm like, what would I do? Like, I'll either freeze up and not play anything for like forever, you know, or I'll or I'll just get impatient and walk into it. And I know those like those are totally the players that like you're waiting to play. You know what I mean? Like, right. like <laughs> want, no, seriously, like you want to sit across the table from me because you've got all the patience in the world for the mirror and I'm going to, I'm going to crack first, you know? <laughs> yeah. It also, it, another benefit from where I'm sitting is I play magic very quickly. I, my turns are lightning fast. And, uh, I'd say back in 2008, I played against, uh, Paul Chion, and we were on feature, and they wrote about it. And the article title was the fa- uh, the fastest two players in the room. 
And him and I are just like, Lango, Lango, Felgo, Felgo, attack you, block, and throwing things in the graveyard. And it was like, you know, it looked comical if you were watching it. Like, <laughs> just like because, it was fast forward. Or yeah, it looks like we were fast forward because just him and I just play so fast. And, you know, I've, I've lost games by playing fast, but I've also intentionally drawn maybe I can count them on one hand, you know, in wow. 11 Magic. I've uh, played intentional drawn maybe four times, unintentional drawn. Um I guess five times if you count in the top or and I played against Eric Smith who won an invitational. Uh and I we were playing Legacy, went to time. We were playing uh pretty much at the time he's playing Jun and he punching fire killed literally every win condition in my deck except for uh half a lingering souls. Um and then I finally ripped a Vindicate to kill his land that he was groving with and then went to time and uh yeah, you know, we kinda of discussed and he conceded. But besides that, uh you know, it's just if it's fast play makes the control mirror feel a little bit better. But if you're a careful player and you really think out your options, you could drive yourself crazy. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much what happened. It got to the point where, I mean, honestly, like the mono black deck really appeals to me more than the blue white control deck. And like as the standard format evolved, um, I was kind of hoarding cards for that sort of archetype anyway. You know, so once that deck like came about, I was like, oh, perfect. I'll just build that deck because I already had the cards sitting in a box waiting for someone more skilled than to, than me to build that deck you know um, clearly there was a place for it with uh, you know Night Vale Spectre being the card that it is and right. um, and just the devo- and the Grey Merchant Grey Merchant I, I called like the second I saw it I was like oh that's huge you know what I mean I was like that card is nuts um, right yeah and that's where you have an advantage over me because I had looked at those cards and I'm like oh these are Really bad draft cards. <laughs> That's why I didn't split in the top four because I was playing against Mono Blue, which I've beaten a thousand times. I'm like, I could beat stupid Cloudfin Raptor or Cloudfin, whatever the hell they called, and these awful tie binder mages and all these. And, uh, you know, you can't beat having 19 land out on the board game, one of those games, and 17 land out on the board, one of those games. It's just, uh, and I discussed how flooding can help you a lot, but sometimes it'll get you. Yeah, so. for sure. But yeah, I mean, like, those decks get better. I mean, you have Infest coming up, too, so... Right, yeah, we're, gonna, yeah. we're definitely going to get into the spoilers. And in fact, um, did you have anything else you wanted to ask about? Uh, yeah, I was just going to ask sure. if there was any, any changes you'd make to the, the, the actual list you played at the Invitational. I think your article said you'd cut the Merciless Eviction... Yeah, I'd cut the Merciless Eviction for a third Blood Baron, so you'd go to four total between the main deck and sideboard. Um, the red-green deck, here's the thing. That deck is, is a nightmare, uh, but it's it wanes in popularity because it has issues with a lot of decks. I mean, Mono Black, they think they beat Mono Black. They, I've heard that they've, you know, BBD said uh, in his article, you know, he's been praising red-green. I think it's a very powerful deck, but... I've seen it play against Mono Black, and I, just, I don't think it has as much of an advantage as I think it does. I mean, maybe if the Mono Black player never sees a Thought Seize ever, then sure, you'll beat it. But, you know, you have to assume a lot of times they play four, they have a Thought Seize turn one, and then they go, okay, I'll take this big expensive thing out of your hand, and then I'll play a pack rat and make a thousand pack rats. Like, I just don't understand, like, how they think the matchup is good for them in any way. But... Uh, if red green dies is as popular as it is, and you want to soup up your deck a little bit, you might have to add a third hero's downfall, um, and you can cut like you know uh, a devour flesh or Azorius charm or something like that, something random in the deck. Um, but I'm gonna I'd leave it as is right now, and just hope that the fad kind of you know dies off there. Uh, one last question: um, Did your good fortune at the uh, at the actual magic tables translate to the blackjack tables at all? 
Oh yeah, I uh, had a I had a crazy hand uh, blackjack. So BBD, I don't know if you read his article, but he mentioned how my gambling problem had made his <laughs> weekend super exciting. I was dragging him around. And we were we were throwing you know hundreds and then eventually thousands. It, it was getting pretty crazy. So we had this blackjack hand um, where it was a seven hundred fifty dollar hand because uh, I do this like oh my progressive God. like up betting. Like I'll bet like fifty, then I'll bet a hundred if I win that, then I'll bet two, then. 350 so we won a bunch of hands in a row we got a 750 and then we're like and my hand was a, a six and what was it is it a six and a three okay and against an eight showing so i have a nine showing so i double for a 754 oh, man. <laughs> and i was like oh my god like i was like you know i wanted to die because just it had that much money in one hand and dealer busted anyway. So. Oh man, that's so, awesome. Yeah, I, yeah, my blackjack. I won you know a good twenty eight hundred dollars at blackjack when I was there. So I didn't feel too bad about losing the top four at the time. I felt horrible. I've never. I've, I've always been a really good loser in magic. I, I'm very respectful. Shake hands, get up, and shake it off, and go eat and hang out. Uh, this actually lost. I was supposed to do an interviewing with Ruben Bresler. I completely just grabbed my bag, uh, walked out of the building, and then just left and say a word to anybody because I was. <laughs> That confident when I didn't because I always split in top eights and top fours. And I always, was, I actually was the guy who begged for the split, and I, I was the only no sir in the top four because I thought my matchup was so good. And was, was that like, the match where you? Um, I think you had like a one lander basically. Yeah, like I kept the one lander and uh, pithing needle or something like that. Yeah, it was Thoughtsy's uh, pithing needle on the draw. It was a scry land. And um, I had Zorius Charm and Doom Blade, so my hand was completely uh, low cost at Scryland on the draw. So even if I missed two or three land drops, if if one card in the top five cards is a land, I win that game. Um, and it wasn't. So I mean, that's just really bad luck. And I had to defend that. Uh, ben Stark said, you know, him, we were eating dinner at um, I think it was Bellagio or lunch, excuse me, right after that. And he was him and I got into a nice little debate about the validity of that hand. Uh, most people agree with me that you keep it. At first, you don't think you keep a one-lander ever, and that's just not true. Um, you have to plan. Like, it's basically, I kept a two-lander and missed a land in the top three cards would have been the same result, um, you know, for a lot of these hands that you keep. Like, it's it's kind of like a lot of people keep land, land, Azorius Charm, Jace, Jace, Elspeth, Verdict on the draw. You know, that sounds even way more reasonable. That hand's way worse than the hand that I had. Um, especially with the scry land. So, uh, yeah, I kept the one land, then got flooded twice. And usually, you know, I, when I d- talk about the losses that happen, I do it in a completely like, um, what could I have done differently? What could have, you know, what yeah. plays? But in this particular match, uh, he made a ton of errors. Uh, he, uh, I thought, season on turn one, he had a uh, judge's familiar out, and he let it resolve. Mm. So I took his Jace. Uh, I, was, I was shocked. Uh, he split my piles, Azorius Charm, Doomblade, and uh, I had a land, and he put the land by itself, and I've yet to miss a land drop. So I took the two spells and then played my tap land on turn five. I'm just like, hey, you never never try to get your opponent with that. That's <laughs> asinine. <laughs> Literally asinine. Like, it's, mm. you, you'll never, it'll never work out for you. Just split the pile right. Um, he... Uh, uh, could have killed, knocked my life total down. I don't know if you watched the game. I won when I was down 2-1 with my flying Blood Baron. But he <laughs> attacked Jace with Thassa. And he could have hit me for 5 and knocked me down to like 22. Deactivate it. Yeah, deactivate it. But he, instead he sent like 3 damage at me and then 5 and killed Jace. So he put me at like 28. And I tapped and I 6 a revelation for 2 and killed him. Um, and he 
actually in his hand too, or excuse me, on board. He tried to block my flying blood baron with a um, uh, token, an elemental token, and we would judge that it's pointed and it's flying, obviously. So I mean, like, I don't mind losing, but I think with the errors that he made and the the luck that uh, kind of sent me to the losing bracket, there kind of made me a little salty. So there's my one salty loss of the lifetime. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I had to leave. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. Well, hey, at least at least you you had the the intelligence to just take yourself out of the situation rather than stick around and maybe say something you'd regret later or or be like negative with somebody. You know what I mean? You went off right. and you, oh, yeah. you dealt with it yourself, and and that's you know even if it's not like the smiling waving like gracious thing like it's definitely the intelligent thing to do and it, and it saves face because you, you're, you're not going to have every situation where you're totally feeling happy about losing everyone has those moments where they're just right. like oh really like you, i think you did the right thing in just getting up and recognizing the situation and taking yourself out of it you know that's a it's an important skill to have too um, yes, that that token's been eluding me. It's uh, <laughs> it's definitely it, it was definitely not the money. It was a hundred percent that. Um, and I've been you know I've been working on. It. I'm pretty sure at some point uh, in time they'll they'll give me one anyway. Um, but you know I, I really wanted to earn it right there and have it. Uh, I think. What kind uh, of token were you going to be? I said sand warrior for that because it's funny. You know, keep it you know, ethnically close to me. Like Middle Eastern <laughs> thing. But uh, I think after looking at art and stuff on tokens, I really like the promise of power mirrored in card um uh, you, you've probably seen it sometime in edh or something the demon. No, no, yeah the demon yeah. so i mean just because the art on that looks real real cool so if i had to pick one it'd probably be that right now i change every few weeks so it was a spirit at first i'm like yeah i don't want to be a tom martell i don't want to be the same <laughs> thing as him all right cool so that's the invitational and uh now we're gonna get into some born of the gods spoilers this is my favorite time of the year see the best thing about being a magic player is you get christmas about four or five times a year and you get it every day at about 11 p.m if you're in central time or midnight if you're on the east coast um so we've got a bunch of spoilers at this point and um I'm using mythicspoiler.com for spoilers. Uh, the reason why I like this site a lot is because there's a lot of different ways you can sort it, for one. If you just go to mythicspoiler.com, it's going to show them in a, uh, in a pre-sorted – they're sorted by color. Um, down the page. It starts with like the, the gods, and then it goes like they're vertical columns by color, and their picture – it's a visual spoiler and they're all on one page. You don't have to like click anything. It's just all there. Everything that's been spoiled is there. And I like that. Um, now, Steven, you were saying you liked MTG salvation because it told you the source. Yeah. It just has the source for like where it got spoiled. So if it's like <laughs> channel fireball or whatever, right. you can like, if there's like an associated article or something like that, you can, you can but, check that out. But if now, you so choose. But now here's the thing. If you click on newest spoilers on mythic spoiler, It'll sort them by date, and it does have the source. So it has the source under it. I like a lot of different websites. Um, I've used gatheringmagic.com for spoilers before. I've used um, MTG Salvation is the one that I used to always use for spoilers. And um, I think that those sites could learn a lot from Mythic Spoiler because these spoilers post online, and then within like five minutes, they're on Mythic Spoiler, like almost without fail. As soon as a spoiler happens... It appears on here before the other sites catch up. And I think that Mythic Spoiler is doing a good job, which is why I'm talking about them specifically 
and why I'm using them for uh, this particular exercise here. So anyway, just real quick, the first thing that was spoiled, obviously, were the uh, the lands we're getting, the new scry lands that we're getting in the format. Um, so we're getting a blue-white scry land, we're getting a red-black scry land, and we're getting a green-white scry land, which obviously helps mana bases, especially for those particular two-color decks. Um, I know that there's a green-white deck. I know there's a blue-white deck. Is there a red-black deck right now in the format? I don't even know. There oh, was a Rakdos aggro deck, but is it's, there not one? Done. it's not really done that, much of anything. Well, my, my I'm point. really glad there's not because, man, there are some wretchedly scary red-black cards, man. I, I will crusade against it i'll write an article saying how bad the deck is if it ever gets good <laughs> guys you gotta I mean, sell your rakdos returns <laughs> yeah oh yeah rector's return is miserable to play against i don't know if you guys have ever been rector's return before but that is just the worst thing in the world yeah. also um yes sire of insanity still standard oh gosh <laughs> and there's also another one um they they printed it last block and i was like oh my god if anyone ever plays this card uh control can't win but nobody played it it's um the five mana six six when it has to be blocked by three creatures and when it dies they get all the oh creatures the back. underworld service yeah that guy's that insane is, against control yeah. like if you kill it it's like you, you can't kill it you have to just detach spirit like or you're done I mean, it's it's crazy I'm glad no one plays these things though so we'll keep it like that yeah well well my question is with these lands coming up in the next set does this make any of those uh, particular two-color decks stronger or or more viable, perhaps uh, now that the mana bases are improving uh, for those color combinations. Like so, so does blue-white control? Obviously, blue-white control gets better because they get a scry land. Now, does it get stupid better? Does it make the mana base good enough to maybe consider it over Esper or something else? Uh, you, you can't play blue white over Esper at this juncture, especially with red green being so good. It's just because counter spells are just not that good. Um, it's just the deck, the format's too fast. Format the counter spells are getting worse, and the creatures are getting better, and that's a recipe for disaster. They haven't made a good counter spell ever. Um, I, it's just like in standard anyway. In recent times, since Manalite and cards like Dissolve. I mean, it has it's fine. It's a card that is just okay, but you can't even play more than two in your deck because Again, on the draw, you can't counter anything. <laughs> They're already like, you know, half dead against half these decks. Yeah. So you can't play these cards, and that's a reason why Blue White is struggling. They're the spot removal. You, know, you have Last Breath, you have Azorius Charm, which half the Esper decks have dropped. I'll never drop it because that's insane. I don't know why you'd ever drop the best charm ever made. Um, but it's it's one of those things where the, the, the removal is not good enough. The counter spells are kind of slow and 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 dinky, and it, it's the mana base has never been an issue for Esper. I mean, you have a lot of coming to play tap lands, which is kind of rough. But you take that sacrifice with the ability to kill things, where blue white doesn't have those abilities. Yeah. So with with the blue white scry land, what's the like, what's the maximum number of Skylands you'd, uh, you'd I don't know. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I want to play them all, but I don't know. I, I, you obviously play blue-white ones, because the black-white one's kind of, eh. Um, it's going to change. I think you're going to up it, but then again, it's you, you don't know. It's, you have to play kind of reactionary. If, if people start playing more Burning Earths, then you can't do that. You need some basics in order to, to function. You also can't play 100 pl- you know, tap lands. Um, I don't know. I think, you, I think I'm going to add one more for now. And play thirteen, uh, or excuse me, nine. Sorry, uh, and then I'll see how that goes. If it's if I play a bunch of games, you know, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty matches online that are fine, I'll add another one. Um, but you know, it's it's your 
you're pushing kind of the envelope there. You got to just see how many works. Uh, I think most most people I've talked to say eight is the max. So you're already at the max. And if that's the case, then you'll just make your mana base better by not having to play four black white ones. You can play like two and two blue white ones. Now, like you were saying, the red black deck scares you. Um, do you think yeah. that do you think that uh, particular color combination gets better? With a Scryland, like, do you think that the deck moves into like playable? It needs a Planeswalker that's good. Um, it needs something like that because the reason why Jun was so good back in the day with red black is because the creatures you had Huntmaster of the Fells and you had ridiculous Planeswalkers uh, that win that deck as well, and you had Thraktos obviously, which made all the green decks better. But now, if you wanted to play maybe like a red green black deck like a Jun deck now, I think the, the Scryland will help that cause a little bit. And I think that people could be playing it right now, but I don't think Control is popular enough to make people shift to that. I think Control was very popular last season, and then it got killed off real quick. Um, but now I think Control is not at its pinnacle, so I don't think people are going to try to stretch their mana base a little bit, add more tap lands in order to play these powerful cards like Ratchet's Return um, or Cyrus or anything like that. Steven, are you sad that Temple of Plenty has been printed so you are unable to completely ditch the green-white deck? <laughs> uh, I'm just sad they didn't call it Temple of Gardens. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they, they didn't, so far from the spoiler, they haven't really given given much to uh, green-white. Uh, Shaheen, how, how much of the, I guess, spoiler have you seen? Have you been keeping up with it? or? Um. Yeah, so so. I, I kind of have it in front of me now too. So if we need, to, if I need to re- reference something, I, I like um the I like the mechanic, and I'm sure we're gonna get into that too, where it's inspired. I, mean, I, I like the two drop against the control mirror, and I've looked at this all as uncommon. I'm like that eh, could be something. If you're on the play and you play as God favored general, the two drop one one. Then when it's untapped, you can pay three and put two more soldiers in play. That can get out of hand because uh, after board you board out your removal. So, I mean, if I'm on the draw and turn three, I already have, you know, three creatures in play, you know, beaten face, it can be pretty good. And it's always been a kind of a control trump strategy to bring creatures into that, in that situation. So that could, like, replace uh, some, of, like, some of the decks running Soldier of the Pantheon on the sideboard? Yeah, like yeah, it could. I think Soldier of the Pantheon is more for um, uh, aggro matchups. Where you oh, bring yeah. this against the control decks, but it, a lot of people are playing Nightvale Spectre, and I don't think this card, even though it is cool, maybe a rare one that they make will do better things than this uncommon one, but it's almost good enough to replace Nightvale Spectre because once it hits once, or once it untaps once, you have a, enough pressure where you can, you know, wreak some card advantage away from your opponent there. What we can do is we can focus on a couple cards that you're particularly excited about or just cards even if you're not excited about them. Like if there's cards you want to talk about where you think they're overhyped or whatever, we'll let you dictate which cards we move to right now. I guess, look at the spoiler, the uh, the most hype car, overhyped card, if it has any hype, is uh, the Planeswalker, uh, Kyora, the Crashing Wave. Uh, this card is trash. Um, I'll tell you why. It's it's for and first of all, uh, I want to tell I told you so to everybody listening about Ashiok how garbage it is and uh, being absolutely right the entire time. Um, and this Planeswalker reminds me of Ashiok a little bit. It's better than Ashiok because uh, it does something. Ashiok does nothing. But this card, four mana for an X four is not acceptable. 
uh, against a format that is not all control decks. If it's all control decks, it's fine. You can play a Planeswalker that goes to one loyalty and you get to draw a card to put a land into play. But paying four man to have a one loyalty Planeswalker and then it, all you get to do is put a land in play and draw a card, you, that's, it's not a good deal. It's never going to be a good deal. Um, so I think this card actually has just way too much hype. If if it has, if anyone said they like it, that's too much hype for this card. <laughs> I I I like this card, but only for Maze's End. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it could fit. It could fit in there. It can fit in a niche deck, kind of like where Ashiok could fit like a mill deck. You know, you can just you get it. You know, these cards can have a specific home, but just the playability of it. I don't, and I really wanted to be good because I want to play Plasma Capture. I've I still have a set of those cards. That card is super sweet. And I would, if Blue Green ever had like any kind of Thrite Tusk again or something that made it good, a Blue Green Planeswalker that wasn't trash like this guy, I would play. <laughs> Plasma Capture. That card is just insane. Like, it's you pay one more mana to dissolve and you get a mana drain. Like, I don't know how that card isn't gaining any traction. Um, but, you know, I was really looking forward to this being a, a decent Planeswalker in a in a vacuum and just in a control shell. But sure. one loyalty is ridiculous. Like, I don't know. Giving it two loyalty would have made it play, or three loyalty total going to two would have made it playable. If you could have got two explorers out of it, it would have been playable. And it was still, still wouldn't be that great, but it would be you know, you keep an eye on it. But now you can't even get two explorers out of it without killing itself. So it's kind of like Liliana's garbage too, because it kills itself right when it comes in play and uses the, the removal ability. <laughs> if it went to one loyalty, that planes would be uh, playable too. And what really confused me is how they make a Jace Architect of Thought or an Elspeth, these super powerful planeswalkers, and then make trash points. I mean, just you make it just a little bit better and then it could be played. But uh, I think they missed the boat on this one. Once it hits like ten bucks, where it's where it yeah. probably should be, then I'll pick up a set and throw them in there and have some fun with it. Yeah, uh, I opened uh, three of the time wall cards with uh, for seven mana the miracle ones. Yeah, uh, it's called. Uh, I opened three of those one foil and I traded them for underground seas. So <laughs> uh, nice. you know you gotta you gotta <laughs> drop them when they're hot. Just That's get rid of those right. cards. And now it's like what four dollars or something, like, something so. like that. It is being played in like a miracles deck in Legacy, but eh, eh. Not like to the degree that it would be that would warrant the price tag that it had when the hype first started for it. Right, right. Now, okay. Speaking of you, your counter spells are bad in the format. You know, you've got this blue devotion deck in the format that's obviously a pretty strong deck. So Thassa's rebuff is a card I really want to hear your opinion on. Um, so Thassa's rebuff, I'll read it for anyone who doesn't know. It's one in a blue. It's an instant. It's an uncommon. Counter target spell unless its controller pays X, where X is your devotion to blue. So, that, I mean, that, just looking at that card, it feels really strong, especially in that mono blue devotion deck. Now, what do you think of this card? I mean, you were saying counter spells are bad in the format. This seems like a good counter spell, though, for that deck. Do you think that this card is an automatic four of in that deck, or uh, do you think it's, um, you know, maybe a trap? I think it's kind of a trap. Uh, it's it's definitely decent in that deck, but I think what's it called? Spell rupture is the one where it's two mana counter spell for, for the power of a creature in play that you have. Yeah, that's the same card. Like let's say tie binder mage, you untap with that card. I mean spell rupture counters for two. That card counters for two. But this is the first time a blue deck has been aggressive since Delver, but Delver had mana leak. So I think. I think it's going to get played. I don't think it's going to be a four of, because uh, you can't draw a couple of those. It's not good because you have to have mana open all the time, which blue devotion taps out a lot, especially in the early turns. I think you'll see it as like a two of, um, and then people will play it. But again, I, you know, spell rupture is the same card, and I didn't really see it get played. 
But then again, I'm not really a blue tempo expert, so I, I think you know we'll see if they decide to or not. Because um, usually they just ran negate in their sideboard and gainsay, and uh, negates pretty much counters all the things that they ever care about. Because the blue division they don't really care about creatures minus like uh, Polychronos or something. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I think it'll get played. I think it's at least a better main deck card than a negate or you know solve or something. Yeah, yeah, they're not gonna play those kind of cards. So they're definitely gonna play it. But maybe like a two over something like that. You kept mentioning uh, throughout the episode about Mono Black getting an Infest card. That's uh, Drown in Sorrow, yeah? Is that the one you're talking about? Yep. Drown in Sorrow is uh, two black and one. It's an uncommon. It's a sorcery. Um, all creatures get minus two, minus two until end of turn. Scry one. Seems pretty solid. What do you think about that? Good card. I think uh, Infests are always healthy in the format. Uh, I think it's going to help Mono Black more than Esper. I think Esper's got Supreme Birdie's pretty much good enough. Uh, the black, also Black Black One is tough for Esper, um, especially when you need Blue Blue and White White. So it's not going to be as easy as people think. It's like auto three of in the sideboard, and you know I'm going to tweak the mana a little bit. But if you, the reason why people cut Heroes Downfall to two or one or zero is because Black Black is you know it's real tough to do. So and, and you have to have it on turn three. Or the infest sideboard plan is, you know, ineffective anyway. So I think it's going to be good in mono black. I think it, I think it's necessary. I think it's black mono black loses to a lot of aggressive one drop decks. Um, red decks just pummel it, especially when four of your cards are thought season and the other four cards are underworld connections. Yeah. You're having a real hard time against the twelve one drop red deck. They're, you're just dead before you even look at a gray merchant. Um, and this card will help combat that. Have you seen the Bile Blight, the Black Black Instant? Uh, yeah, the Echo and Decay functional almost reprint there. I mean, it's um, it's pretty good. I think it's good. I don't know if it, again if the Black Black makes it hard for Esper, but Mono Black should play that card over a lot of the removal. It's better than their other removal spells, definitely, because it yeah. kills Nightfall Spectre and a bunch but, of other stuff. The problem is, is that it also kills your Nightfall Spectre. Right, right. If you have it, you have to play. Luckily, I mean. In, that situation shouldn't come up too much because if you both have Nightvale Spectre out, then it's not, there's no real action happening. And I was thinking about this card too with Pack Rat. I'm like, oh, sweet Pack. Oh, no, it kills your Pack Rats too. Yeah, but you got to think about it. So, it's, you know, you're, it's kind of like the, the Esper Human deck playing Verdict. I mean, sure, you kill your own guys sometimes, but it's in that when you don't have a Necromancer out, but then again, other times you don't. You have the verdict, and you wait for them to play some stuff, and verdict, and you untap and play guy, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. And this is the same situation where if they play their guy first, and you have the removal spell on the draw, uh, which is very likely, they go yeah. Nightville Spectre, you have Black Black open, you do that in a turn, play your Nightville Spectre, move on. I think it's going to be a, a that's, great deck. Yeah, that's, that's really great. Oh, my favorite card in the spoiler is the Dark Confidant, because I'm going to play this in my sideboard yeah. uh, in an Esper, and it sounds crazy flipping Elspeth and Aethlings, um, but I'm going to do it because who cares? You're playing the Control Mirror, I'll take a thousand damage from my own stuff, it doesn't matter, um, and you're beating down at the same time, so this is going to be kind of a sleeper card for Esper. Um, and I'm going to use it as the Luminarch Ascension we discussed earlier is kind of like the um, Zinger in the Control Mirror. So I don't think anyone's going to jump on board. Uh, it kind of reminds me of when I uh, shattered from the rooftops at 
blue black back in the day should play four blood gas in their sideboard for the control mirror. And everybody jumped on board and started winning tournaments because blood gas is stupid in the control mirror. He cannot kill that guy. <laughs> it's just like infinite, you know, attacking. So this guy's gonna be a similar thing. I mean, you're drawing cards starting on turn two or turn three upkeep. So it's gonna be pretty good. Are there any, are there any other cards uh, in this spoiler that are especially exciting to you? Because I mean, we've been on here for an hour now, so I'll let you get on with your day. All right, night. yeah, just going to go to sleep, drink some warm milk, and, you know, <laughs> call it a day. Uh, well, yeah, what do you yeah, think it's... of the um, god cards that have been spoiled? I know we've got four of the five. We'll probably have the fifth one in about ten minutes. Devotion, um, seven devotion is too much <laughs> well, I think it's, it's rough because they don't have a lot of like FASA scrying wonder each turn without having the devotion is just it's just really good um, but these guys I mean I think their abilities are cool but like you like I'm looking at the green white one five mana to let you ramp when you play creature spells I don't know I just they're disappointing. Not, they're not really that exciting the black one's kind of cool the black red one uh, dealing two damage at every turn is pretty good against control. Again, I think does Black Red really need any more anti-control cards now? And that's the problem. They just can't. They'll never be able to beat any other deck, and that's why no one plays it. So you need cards that do stuff against aggro decks, and that God does not do that. Um, and let's see, where's the other one at? The blue white one is very disappointing. I don't yeah, like the blue it, white but... one is really. Uh, yeah. That was the first one they spoiled, and I was like, okay, uh, let's hope the other ones are better than that. Yeah, I'm like, come on now. I mean, if you're gonna Make a blue white one at least. Right now, all these gods are pretty much played only in the, in the aggro decks. So you have, with that being said, you know I was hoping they make a god that could be played a control deck. And uh, you know I saw this this spoiled, and I was like, oh no, why do they do this? So, well, I mean, you know, I'm you know playing devil's devil's advocate here uh, in conjunction with like Elspeth. You got the three creatures coming out every turn that would trigger the Afara. You know, right, right. Um, I think you're already winning if you have a god and Elspeth to play. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like I, I thought about like tokens and stuff. It's just just not enough. Sad. I was depressed. I wanted something. I wanted a god in my deck, but what can you do? Are there any other cards you want to talk about, or uh, you want to go ahead and hop off here? Uh, yeah, that, that's about it. I uh, I think there's like 48 cards full or something like that, and we got a long way to go. But I think from what we've seen so far, the set looks pretty cool. I, I really like. Uh, a Dark Confident S card. Obviously, it's a little bit worse. You don't get to draw a card the first turn. But, you know, after that, it can get out of control for a lot of decks. I can see this doing something in standard for, you know, a good amount of time. Sure. And, uh, you know, even with and with Springleaf Drum being in the format, you know, there's... I, I don't know what deck it fits in, but um, Springleaf Drum can tap whatever creature has the inspired ability to... Uh, abuse that without running the creature straight into, uh, you know, certain death or whatever. Uh, and I know there are a couple other cards that are going to tap things, you know what I mean? So, or at least untap things, or there'll be ways to activate it that aren't. All right, Resurgence of Ral Zarek. There you go. Oh, Boom. There we go. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Got it. Now you can actually use that ability to do something. Get your Ral Zarek's. No, yep. but... um. Yeah, I guess they couldn't be any cheaper. Nope. I think they're like <laughs> five bucks, seven bucks, all that. All right, man. Well, uh, we're going to let you go. We're going to keep talking a little bit more about uh, spoilers here. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for being on the cast. What's your Twitter? At uh, Shaheen MTG. S H A H E E N MTG. One word.
Awesome. So if anyone wants to, has any questions or wants to say, hey, why did you appear on that stupid podcast, you know? Yeah, there you go. Go ahead. <laughs> send, uh, send those uh, things Shaheen's way. So, Shaheen, thanks a lot for joining us and uh, definitely come back anytime. All right. Appreciate it, guys. You guys have a great night. Thanks. You too. Thanks. Take it easy. All right. Uh, so awesome. We had Shaheen on the podcast. That was totally rad. Our first guest back. Woo. Now that we are safely out of earshot of Shaheen's audible disdain for our excitement for the next card, let's talk about Ragemonger. Uh, Ragemonger is a Minotaur Shaman. It's a 2-3. It costs a red, a black, and one. Uh, Minotaur spells you cast cost black, red, less to cast. This effect reduces only the amount of colored mana you pay. So... Um, you know, uh, I like how they have the example there. <laughs> for right. example, for example, if you cast a crappy Minotaur spell, it doesn't say crappy. For example, if you cast a Minotaur spell with mana cost two red, it costs two to cast. Uh, that, that reminds me of like how they used to like. If you ever go back and look at some of the really old cards, like how they template it, uh, it's just really awkward sounding, like uh, like Bazaar of Baghdad or whatever, where it's like now you tap and you can. You can draw two cards, but then you must discard three cards. And if you don't have three cards, you must discard your entire hand. And you can't cast any spells between discarding the two cards. Just the uh, the way it's worded, it's kind of uh, <laughs> it just it gave me flashbacks to to how they used to template cards. Allow me to read Ice Cauldron. <laughs> For example, Ice Cauldron from Ice Age. It's an artifact. It has a casting cost of four. The written text on the card is X tap. Put a charge counter on Ice Cauldron and put a spell card face up on Ice Cauldron. Note the type and amount of mana used to pay this activation cost. Use this ability only if there are no charge counters on Ice Cauldron. You may play that spell card as though it were in your hand. And then tap. Remove the charge counter from Ice Cauldron to add mana of the type and amount last used to put a charge counter on Ice Cauldron to your mana pool. This mana is usable only to cast the spell on top of Ice Cauldron. That is the most confusing Isochron Scepter I've ever heard of. <laughs> it really is. I mean, like, <laughs> it is, like, famously one of the most confusing cards ever uh, printed for the game. Um, have, they, have they had a card that reduces the colored mana cost of a card, like... Um, uh, well, the the Convoke ability from Ravnica did. Um, oh, that's right. Like, Quarter Calling. Okay. So it would be like you tap the creatures and they reduce the mana cost by, like, either col either colorless or mana of that card's color. I think that's how that worked exactly. But, yeah, they have done that before, but mostly not, like, in a printed ability. You know what I mean? Not, like, a printed on a card where it's, like, this reduces spells cost by a colored mana symbol. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of unique in that respect. Um, now, you know, Minotaurs is one of those things that, uh, a lot of players want to make happen. Ryan Germore, uh, was playing Minotaurs in F and M. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of questions where it was like, do I run, uh, the Kragma war caller? And our decision was no, because it costs five mana. You know what I mean? Because it was just ridiculous. So now Ragemonger <clears throat> seems like it makes Kragma Warcaller playable in that deck. Because obviously the ability is awesome, but you want to be playing aggro, so you want to be not 
waiting till five lands to play a card that has any significance in the game state. So Ragemonger really solves that problem. And the craziest thing about Ragemonger is that Ragemonger's ability is going to be nuts when you have multiple Ragemongers, right? So well, yeah, because you you untap and then turn four, you you can play another Ragemonger for just one colorless mana, and then another Minotaur creature. No, you can you play know. a second Ragemonger for one colorless, and then you can play your Lord for one colorless, and then you can play two more uh, Minotaurs pretty much for one colorless. You, you know, play what I mean? a, you can play one red for a Boros Reckoner. <laughs> Once you've got two of them out, I guess. Oh my goodness, that's right. Boros <laughs> Reckoner is a Minotaur. I forgot about that when talking about this. It seems like a card like Ragemonger, I'm not going to sit here and say that Minotaurs is a playable, competitive archetype, but it's fun. And this card, I think, pushes it from fun to scary at FNM. Yeah, if, if, if you draw the right half of your deck, you'll feel like you're playing Naya Blitz and uh, if you if you draw the wrong half, then you you're just playing a really really crappy uh, draft deck. Right. <laughs> Correct. Have we talked about the tribute mechanic? No, yet? no, we haven't. I was actually going to bring that up right now because um, fanatic of Xenagos is one a green and a red. Uh, it's a three three centaur warrior. Uh, has trample and it has tribute one. Uh, tribute says as this creature enters the battlefield an opponent of your choice may put a plus one plus one counter on it so the tribute number is equal to the number of plus one plus one counters your opponent or an opponent uh, that you choose so that could be relevant in like commander or something an opponent of your choice can put a pl uh, plus one plus one counters on it equal to its tribute. Uh, now, when it enters the battle, when Fanatic of Xenagos enters the battlefield, if the tribute cost wasn't paid, Fanatic of Xenagos gets plus one plus one in haste until end of turn. So uh, it can create some really interesting situations. So like it, with this particular card, um, and it's just the first one that I saw with this ability. If there's one in particular, Stephen, you want to talk about, you can read that one next. But um, so what this says is... Um, you're basically choosing, do I want to give my opponent a 4-4 trample every turn? Or do I want to give it a 4-4 trample haste until the end of turn, and then it's a 3-3? Like, what will be easier for me to deal with? Do you have to make that choice? Somebody, I forget who, I forget, it might have been Ryan, was talking about how the tribute ability is pretty awesome with the ordeals. Um, oh, yeah, I didn't even think of that. So Yeah, I haven't really seen any of the tribute cards that have, uh, I don't know, really excited me. One red-green for, like, maybe 4-4 four, four haste. It doesn't seem way better than, like, Minotaur Skull Cleaver. Is there only two? No, there's three other tribute cards they've spoiled, I think. One of them's that uh, ridiculously big green card, which... There's... Yeah, Nessian Wild, Wild's Ravager. Yeah, pre-release uh, card. Yeah, I mean, there's been, like, several articles already about just how generally Punisher mechanics, basically um, mechanics that give your an opponent uh, a choice between two effects on a card um, uh, that you control uh, are just have just historically been unplayable, such as uh, the, the most famous being Browbeat. Uh, I haven't I haven't seen any of the I guess tribute cards where it both sides of the, the effect that your opponent could choose are good enough to make up for the fact that your opponent gets the choice. Uh, the only one that's like a quasi, it's not, it doesn't even say tribute on it, um, that, that I, I feel like might be good enough is uh, Mogi, the God of Slaughter, mm -hmm. um, which is uh, two 
black red for seven five uh, legendary enchantment creature god. He's indestructible. As long as your devotion to black and red is less than seven, he isn't a creature. Um, and at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, uh, Mogis deal Mogis 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 uh, God of Shred. Yeah, yeah <laughs> deals uh, two damage to that player unless he or she sacrifices a creature. Um, that one, that one seems maybe or probably good enough just because you're getting that effect repeatedly without having to pay mana uh, each turn. It, it could be like a nice like top of the curve for either. I, I, I've been playing that burn deck in standard and obviously they couldn't ever print sulfuric vortex, but um, he, he doesn't prevent your opponents from gaining life. So I guess you'd have to like throw Erebos out there too, if you wanted to get, you know, makeshift effect for eight mana instead of three, but that that's the only kind of a uh, quasi punisher mechanic card that they've spoiled so far. That's that I feel like is good enough. Um, the one people are most excited about, it seems like, is uh, Flame Wreathed Phoenix. It's uh, two red red for uh, three three uh, flyer. Um, it's got tribute two, um, so they can if they pay the tribute, it gets uh, two plus one plus one counter, so you get a five five flyer for for four in red, which is a pretty good rate. Um, but uh, when Flame Wreathed Phoenix enters the battlefield, if tribute wasn't paid, it gains haste and when this creature dies, return it to its owner's hand. For some reason, that just doesn't—that's not—that doesn't seem that exciting to me. It doesn't seem like an upgrade from Chandra's Phoenix, at least in terms of what's already standard legal. Right. I mean, now after rotation, this could become a mainstay of like red, red decks, you know. But uh, yeah, it's I, a very similar effect, but it just comes down later, uh, yeah. which is not something you generally want with a with a red deck. Right. Right. I mean, like. Big red is a possibility um, with Nykthos being a card for the next year and a half, you know, Ember Swallower exists, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that, you know, in the right environment, uh, something like that could thrive. But uh, no, you're right in terms of a four drop in red, you pretty much want to be like, I drop this and then it's going to probably kill you really fast. You know, like if I'm paying yeah. four mana for it, you're not going to live long. Yeah, one of the things that we've always, because I loved like Breaking Point. I loved uh, Browbeat. I loved those cards, but they weren't good. And um, like the reason why, and me and Joey have talked about this before, you, you can't always be cynical and assume your opponent's going to be bad. <laughs> Most of the time, if your opponent is given a choice, your opponent's going to make the correct choice or the best choice in the situation. They're going to make the choice that is going to be the worst for you. So you have to kind of go into it assuming that your opponent's going to make the correct choice. Um, so a card like the Phoenix gives your opponent two pretty bad choices, you know, which is why that card is is decent. When either choice is bad, then the card has a chance to be effective. But most of the time, if there are two choices, your opponent's always going to pick the one that's going to benefit you the least. Yeah, it basically <laughs> reads um, tribute to and, uh, you know, if they have a removal spell, then they'll pay the tribute. <laughs> right. It's a charm card, but for your opponent, that gives them the least worst option. Now, there are a couple other cards that you were saying that... Uh, you liked uh, in terms of having an immediate impact for red. Um, what was the first one you wanted to talk about? Uh, well, sure. I mean, the first one is a uh, faded conflagration. Uh, one red, red, red. It's an instant um, faded conflagration deals five damage to target creature or planeswalker. If it's your turn, scry two. Uh, so uh, as I've mentioned before, I've been playing uh, 
basically a, like a red white burn control deck and this and one one card that just well there's a couple cards that are just pr- problematic for that deck uh one and that's obviously um there's an article by i think patrick chapin that 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 talked about it was uh why this card says planeswalker is that jace when it when it comes in ticks up to five uh this is this is just the perfect answer instead of just wasting two of your turns sitting in, you know, your creatures or muta vaults or what have you to, to try to kill it. Um, and them, you know, effectively gaining, uh, eight or 10 life this, you can just leave up, leave open the mana and kill it immediately. Um, the other, the other major problem card, which thankfully people are not playing a lot of, ex- except for that Esper humans deck is, is Obsidat. That's just, uh, incredibly difficult to deal with unless you happen to have it's you're going to two for one yourself you have to either uh you'll have to use two lightning strikes or a lightning strike and a shock this would just this this is just a a, the best or i guess the most efficient answer that red would have to an obsidat and it also deals with a ticked up elspeth and that's obviously huge uh it also uh, has enough damage to kill aetherling if your opponent's dumb enough to uh <laughs> tap 6 and cast aetherling with no mana up uh and you've got four mana open and playing red i'm pretty happy about this card's existence in the format it's just unfortunate uh for people who play red and want to actually beat desecration demon uh that this doesn't say 6 but um hey you know uh, that's Can't win them all. That's why I run the demons and not the faded conflagration. So uh, there was another card. You said there was another card you wanted to talk about. Yeah, Seer- searing blood just looks. Uh, it looks pretty interesting. It's it's red red for an instant. Uh, searing blood deals two damage to target creature when that creature dies this turn. Searing blood deals three damage to the creature's controller. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a, I guess obviously uh, searing blaze, uh, except yeah. you know you don't need landfall. I love this card. Yeah, it's it's really great. So when I was playing the, the burn deck, um, I mean, most of your burn, especially in the early turns, is um, unlike, you know, like a legacy burn deck where, you know, nine times out of ten, you're sending it towards the person's face. Um, with this deck, you're 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 mostly just like, you know, killing creatures. But this kind of just uh, especially versus aggro decks um, or decks. Well, I guess with decks, decks, decks with Mutavault, which is pretty much everyone at this point. Mutavault, um, yeah, no, this is, <laughs> no, it's solid. Like, I mean, it takes out Mutavault, but it's a great card. And I think my biggest problem, I've played my fair share of Searing Blazes, is that you're playing red and you need to deal with a three-toughness creature. The fates would have it that you're not going to have that land to make landfall with. I mean, like, <laughs> I've, I've had so many times where I'm playing Searing Blaze going, I can't do anything with one damage to a creature. Like I need to be able to target, you know, I need, I need the landfall, but I don't have the land. So this is just like kind of like a compromise card where it's like, okay, you get two damage, but you definitely get the three to the head too. And I like it. I'm really, yeah. And, and in burn, it's kind of like a consolation where even if it does, if it, even if it's not enough to kill the creature, but you can kill it with like another burn spell, like shock or something like that. It's kind of like a consolation where, you're not necessarily completely two for one your um yourself where uh you still if you can kill the creature with another car then you get the bonus of the three damage to them yeah hopefully hopefully your opponent goes turn one thought sees and doesn't take the searing blood so then when they play their pack rat you can five them uh <laughs> by turn two hopefully your opponent's smarter than that um for the sake of their enjoyment of the game over the long term so, i don't want my opponent to enjoy the game no. <laughs> <laughs> I play frenzy tilling though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> you do. Okay. You want to talk about that? No. All right. <laughs> no, you don't. Want, you don't want to talk about the frenzy tilling deck. I could. I could briefly talk about it. Stevens, uh, as we were saying before, New Year's resolutions. Playing decks that have more of a competitive edge and not gravitating towards the super ultra fringe rogue decks uh, was part of Steven's New Year's resolution. The new year has just begun. Uh, how are you doing so far? I had a relapse. I, I, I don't know what it is. I've just been kind of bored with the current standard metagame of just, you it know. It's stagnant. Yeah, just mono black or mono blue or Esper uh, or, you know, blue white control. And that's basically pretty much all you see if you play online. Uh, I don't know. I just got bored with the format. And of course, I saw a really goofy deck that got like 12th place in a premiere event. Mostly, I, 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 maybe they, they're good, but I, I'd have to imagine my, my, some luck might have been involved. Um, so I put it together and yeah, I sleeved up four frenzy tillings, which uh, people probably don't know what that card yeah, does. Say, tell us what that card it's, does. Steve. It's it's standard legal. It's a three, a red and a green for a sorcery. Um, Destroy target land, uh, search your library for a basic land card, and put that card onto the battlefield tapped, uh, then shuffle your library. Uh, so basically the deck, um, and I've, <laughs> I'm still playing it, although I've modified it to be uh, uh, blue, red, green. The original's red, green. Um, but the principle's basically the same, where you play a whole bunch of mana dorks, and you try to ramp up to an early frenzy tilling, which then ramps you up to uh, Sylvan Primordial, <laughs> which is... Uh, Five green green for a six eight uh, with reach, and when he when Sylvan Primordial enters the battlefield, um, for each opponent, I mean just just your opponent, I guess, uh, destroy target non-creature permanent that player controls, and for each permanent destroyed this way, search your library for a force card and put that onto the battlefield tapped. So it's basically just like a land destruction deck in in standard. Um, it's actually reasonable versus mono black and just horrible versus aggro decks it's fun i i would not take it anywhere other than fnm but uh it's uh it's definitely contrary to one of my goals earlier this <laughs> for well i guess from the very last podcast to play more competitive <laughs> decks when i'm running yeah for four x sylvan primordial four x frenzy tilling um i mean i love it four x I mean, ember swallower <laughs> it's uh yeah i'm not gonna lie that you know i mean i love the deck like i think it's really interesting um i love decks like that that ramp into oblivion like i want to i just i'm serious i want to ramp into world spine worm at some point before it rotates like i just want to just got to ramp into garrick that's what i'm saying i want to do i want to live that dream uh before standard rotates sometimes we we live our dreams and and sometimes we do the smart thing so yeah it's, <laughs> it wins it I, it's i i i tested it like i you said, it's doing, you said it's doing well online. Well, you, right? I, I started and I just I happened to play a bunch of mono black and they happened to get mana screwed and I happened to, you know, exploit that. Um, so I started off seven and three um, and then uh, went three and seven. So uh, it's 50 50. <laughs> but but that 50 that you win feels really good. It's uh, if if you're a troll um, like I can be, it's a lot of fun to blow up everyone's land. It's 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 fun to go for the uh, the flawless victory where they go to zero life and have zero permanence on the, <laughs> on the battlefield. Yeah, I definitely saw you like apologizing to someone you were playing at FNM, going, "I'm so sorry, I'm sorry that I that I did that to you." Like it was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that that's because they were. Uh... 
I, they were a minor, and I just felt I felt that was an inappropriate thing to do to them. Oh my god. Oh my god. I'm hitting refresh on Mythic Spoiler. Is there something new coming in? I don't know. Let's see. We have. Yeah. Oh, they... man. Raised by Wolves. Okay, Raised by Wolves is my official new favorite card name ever. <laughs> okay. All right, so we've been recording way longer than we wanted to, uh, as usual. And we've got new spoilers fresh off the presses. So let's go ahead and talk about these. Let's. Okay, we've got other cards we could talk about. We can save them for the next episode, which will probably be way sooner than the last one. So... Do you want to read the... I haven't even read it yet. I literally haven't read it yet. I want you to read it to me for the first time. Do you want to read Brimaz, King of Oreskos? Man, we are such nerds. <laughs> do you want to read Brimaz, King of Oreskos? This is like... Read it to me. The card... Um... That card name... <laughs> no, that card name, like, is why are the stereotypes about our game persist like really <laughs> I, i'm gonna cast my brim as king of oresco's card like yeah that's how i felt about uh oh the last yeah the, the last set before Theros dragon's maze i was like oh come on <laughs> so okay Steven. yeah I'll let me read it it's a uh, <laughs> brim as king of oresco's one white white for three four legendary creature cat soldier He's got Vigilance, and whenever Brimaz, comma, King of Oresco's attacks, put a 1-1 white cat soldier creature token with Vigilance onto the battlefield attacking. Whenever Brimaz blocks a creature, put a 1-1 white cat soldier creature token with Vigilance onto the battlefield blocking that creature. Huh. Wow. That's an interesting effect, yeah. That's pretty strong. Yeah, okay. I mean, the white devotion decks were kind of looking for just more permanence with, you know, devote, like, you know, just to generate devotion. That seems like, well, they although can't... it would compete with Boros Reckoner, but. Well, the, the, the creatures don't generate devotion, the tokens, but, and, and, and yeah. it's kind of, the vigilance is kind of redundant with the uh, white god. Um, yeah, that is very true. So, so it's not that great in that deck, but, um, but a four or five vigilance essentially for three. That's, yeah, I mean, that can get out of hand. That's pretty good. And then it gets, basically, you know, you get another creature every turn, depending on if it's attacking or blocking. I really like the second ability, where when it blocks, because I, I don't think there's ever been a card where it's like, no. when this creature blocks, add another creature onto the battlefield blocking the creature. Like, I think that's the first time I've ever done that. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, it, it effectively attacks or blocks with, you know, four power, five toughness for three, which is... uh it's a pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really efficient. Pretty awesome. You yeah. said there's a card named Raised by Wolves? There is a card called Raised by Wolves. I am so happy about this. Um, it's two green and three. Uh, it's an uncommon. It's an enchantment aura, enchant creature. When Raised by Wolves enters the battlefield, put two... 2-2 two, two green wolf creature tokens onto the battlefield. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one for each wolf you control. Hmm. It's interesting. I mean, it's going to be a nightmare in limited. Absolute nightmare. It's an uncommon. So you're going to see this card. Rock solid. I like it. Cool. So, uh, you know, we've talked about spoilers at great length tonight. Um, so there's one more thing I want to talk about. If you've made it this far in the podcast, 
you're obviously a pretty dedicated listener and we thank you. Um, so as a thank you for being a dedicated listener, we want to give you an opportunity to come onto the show. You know, we have guests on from time to time, but, uh, you know, you ever wonder how to get on YoMTG Taps? Here's your chance. So we're going to do a segment where you can come onto the show and ask us a question. Uh, so what we're going to do is every episode, we're going to give you a hashtag. Um, you have to tweet at us with your question, followed by the hashtag. Um, the hashtag for this episode is going to be Brimaz King of Arescos. Um, so hash no comma, obviously, because it won't hashtag. No spaces. Hashtag Brimaz King of Arescos. Ask us a question on Twitter. Is followed... there going to be room for a question after that? I don't care. <laughs> um, ask <laughs> us a question followed by the hashtag Brimaz King of Arescos. Um, and uh, we'll pick someone from Twitter to come on the show and ask us the question as we record. Um, now, here's the catch with that. Obviously, you have to be available at the time we're going to record. So we'll pick somebody, we'll get in touch with them and uh, we'll tell you when we're planning on recording. And it'll usually be like a day or two notice. So if you can't be available for that episode, let us know and we'll pick someone else's question, which is totally cool. You know, um, you'll have to ask us a new question with a new hashtag to be considered for the next episode. But um, you know, It'll be fun. I think it'll be a neat thing to kind of shake things up and uh, and do something a little different and give you guys an opportunity to participate a little further uh, in the podcast. So that's what we're going to do. Ask us a question. Use hashtag Brimaz King of Arescos. Any question you'd want to know about us, you can ask us a personal question, um, unless it's really weird, but then we just won't pick you. <laughs> so, Or you can um, ask us a magic-related question or whatever you want. Ask us a question on Twitter. Use the hashtag. We'll pick somebody to be on the episode to ask that question. It's only going to be like a short segment where you come on, you ask the question, and you get out of our way. No, but um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, cool. So that's about all we have for this week. We are YoMTG Taps. Stop bitching, start brewing. <laughs>